Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, which you can find at sknr.net, as we cover all things movies, games, television, theme parks, travel, entertainment, television, pop culture, conventions, hardware, and more. We also have our Skewed and Reviewed quarterly magazine. We are currently working on the June issue, which will be out right around the end of the month. And you can catch me on BJSJ's Geek Nation on KISWFM as I cover uh, recaps of the breaking news and everything. And, of course, you can go to Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, Central.com, keyword skewed, which is a network of 12 papers and 21 markets that cover our game reviews. We also appear on everything from sci-fi radio uh, to um, numerous other sites, Smashbomb, and uh, more. And what we're going to do today is I'm uh, joined with, as always, with uh, Justin and Michael. And if you hear some additional noises in the background, we have our little Siamese Mochi, who has decided that I have been uh, the person of choice, as she does many times. And she is on my lap right now, uh, demanding attention, what she's getting. And Siamese, if you've ever been around them, are very vocal and will let you know. So if you hear some mewling in the background, that's it. So we're going to start off with some game news real quick before we get into the topics of discussion. And this has been a very busy time. A lot of games are coming out. We just had Crash Team Rumble come out the other day, which is the latest Crash Bandicoot game. Uh, Team-based game where you have to go and create various objectives. This is not run through the obstacle courses, which become extremely difficult. But it is a very interesting game. It's very different. Uh, and several aspects from what you would expect from the Crash Bandicoot series, but it is available now. It's got a very uh, good price to it, and I think a lot of people will like this. Another one that I'm really, really enjoying is called Trepang 2. And no, the 2 is not as in the second game in the series. This is the only game. It is 2 as in, like, square door to the second power. I put a video up of demo gameplay ages ago, almost over a year ago, and we got a lot of traffic out of it, and the final game came out, and it's an interesting game where you have to, from a first-person shooter perspective, escape from a secret facility, you have the ability to cloak, you can hide uh, various weapons, that sort of thing, and then as you get out of the facility, you learn that there's a greater story involved, you go on missions, there's uh, soldiers, supernatural elements, things like that, and it's been very enjoyable. We do have some new gameplay up as well. Uh, another one, I know Justin's going to be a big fan of this. I'm only early in the game because uh, as we record this, I just got it yesterday, and it was a just slam day. I had stuff to do all day. We had a film screening last night, and so I only really got a chance to play some of it this morning. I do have the video up, but Aliens Dark Descent. The, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, real-time strategy alien story with a very interesting uh, storyline to it and a lot of stuff. Uh, so far, really impressed with it. And then for folks who are a big fan of VR games, I've been playing a couple on the PlayStation VR 2. The first one is called Synapse, and it is a first-person shooter, but you have, uh, like, telekinetic abilities to it so one of the things you can do like for example is when you want to take cover you put your hand out and you physically pull yourself behind a box or a rock or thing like that you can pull yourself up 
one of the great things about it is that you have the ability to move various objects telekinetically. And I had a scenario where I actually ran out of all this ammunition and all these soldiers were around me. So I was able to pull a box up and literally use it like a hammer to smash these guys down or to throw it at them to get them out of the way, take out a guy, get his weapon, and then resume the carnage. And it's just another example of the quality of VR games really improving. I mean, yes, you still have to work a little bit with the navigating in VR, but to get a, you know, essentially a six to seven hour VR game with compelling story and action uh, that would look just perfectly normal uh, in terms of gameplay on a traditional format is great. So we're, it's nice to see we're not seeing games kind of watered down for the VR environment. The last one I have is Pixel Ripped 1978. This is an Atari game where you very much go into uh, fantasy worlds, you jump through various eras, and my wife was cracking up with it because I went from kind of like an Animal Crossing type scenario to almost like a Tron type scenario to one where I was in an office in the 70s playing on an Atari 2600, and she's like, you're playing a game of you playing a game. And I'm like, yep. And it was so fun that uh, they brought coffee and donuts to my character at the desk, and you would actually eat the donuts. And she's like, honey, you're moving your mouth while you're eating the virtual donuts. But I could pick up my coffee cup, drink from it, see the line level go down, and then I could just for fun throw my coffee cup at people who were passing in the office, and it would bounce around and then come back. So looking forward to playing more with that. Uh, sometimes you do have to kind of guess at what you're supposed to do next, but that was Pixel Rift 1978. So Justin and Michael caught the latest Nintendo Direct this morning, and uh, Justin, why don't you start us off and tell us uh, what happened and what stood out to you? Yeah, so uh, kind of like what we predicted, um, Nintendo usually does some kind of event, some kind of Direct uh, right around E3. Um, and this sort of was that for basically the rest of the year, uh, kind of going over mostly games that are releasing on the Switch for the remainder of the year. Um, it was pretty good. So um, Nintendo Directs for me, usually there's like only one or two things that uh, stand out for, for me that uh, when I watch them, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll probably go get that. And for for me, uh, that this time, I think the two kind of headlining uh, titles for me uh, that that stood out to me was the Mario RPG remake and um, the new Super Mario 2D game called Super Mario Wonder. Um, you know, <laughs> there is there is maybe a little bit of a saturation of remakes in the industry, but at the same time, I can't really complain about it too much. They are picking, a lot of companies are picking out games that are beloved to uh, my age group in particular. I mean, Super Mario RPG was... Uh, huge 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 for me when i was a kid so um i know it has a mega cult following and it's basically you know specifically targeted at, at people like me who grew up with it um so I, I think that was a big standout announcement for me in particular um the new super mario brothers game um super mario wonder looks good it looks you know i guess you could complain maybe it looks a little standard for a mario game but uh and it, it does look like they're introducing a lot of kind of uh, wackiness to it that is unique um, to uh, to the Mario um, formula. So it does look like they're shaking things up a little bit, at least. 
uh, it has vi- visually it looks really really cool. Um, other than that, another uh, kind of standout for me, there's uh, an announcement that the the, uh, the Arkham trilogy is coming to the Switch, uh, as well as the the first volume of the Metal Gear Solid series uh, with the Metal Gear Solid Volume One collection. Um, so overall, you know, a pretty standard direct. Uh, that said, you know, they were fairly focused on just stuff coming out this year. So I do think that it was fairly limited in that regard. Um, if they were kind of expanding into next year, then that's probably when we would have seen something for the Metroid Prime, uh, Metroid Prime 4. But at this point, now I'm kind of wondering, uh, or speculating, I should say, I wonder if they're now kind of mulling over whatever uh, hardware is going to follow the Switch, or basically at the time frame where Nintendo probably should be talking about that. Um, the Switch has had a great run, honestly. Uh, I, it's been successful for pretty much its whole run. Uh, it has a very good library. Um, you're starting to hear rumblings. You know, you hear it obviously every every few months or every year or so. But what is Nintendo thinking for their next console? Uh, but because of the the lifespan of the Switch, I, I do have to wonder if maybe that the the Switch's um, successor is on the horizon. Interesting. And Michael, your take, please. Yeah, no, I agree. I think one of the, I think what I've been hearing, you know, following up with some of the comments and feedback that I've seen is kind of what Justin was alluding to. A lot of remake type things and a lot of releases that are um, not currently available on the Switch. A lot of games that are on other other consoles are on the PC. Um, You know, Metal Gear Solid and the Batman Arkham Trilogy, as we've kind of talked about. Uh, Myth Force, Gloomhaven, Vampire Survivor, um, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2. These are all games that have been out on PC or on other consoles for a while in some cases. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, particularly for those whose Switch is kind of their on-the-road or their travel um, companion. Um, gives them an opportunity to replay some of these games um, in a handheld form while they're on the road. Um, it it kind of got me thinking about some of the games that I wouldn't mind um, you know, playing, if I was on a plane or something, um, some of these games would be good to go vi- revisit just because I hadn't played them in a long time. And it puts it into a handhold, um, a handheld version, so that's good. Um, to the, Some of the other games, obviously the Super Mario RPG looks fantastic. Um, the remaster of, I think, the original SNES game. Uh, but yeah, the graphically it looks amazing. I, one of the things I will say about the Switch is it certainly has held up graphically on what it does best, which is kind of that cartoony um, Nintendo look that a lot of the games have. Um, you know, Pikmin 4, I think, was announced. Uh, Persona 5 Tactica, which is kind of like a tactics game that's built around the Persona 5 universe. Um, a lot of um, anime-style type games, which I think has become pretty common with uh, Nintendo Switch releases, um, they also uh, hinted at a Princess Peach game where Princess Peach is kind of getting her very own um, title. Um, they didn't give a lot, they didn't show a lot on it um, other than just kind of a sneak peek. And I think that one in particular is scheduled for 2024. At least there's going to be more information in the first half of 2024. So for me, it was kind of a mixed bag, honestly. Um, again, I, I, I like the remaster stuff. I thought some of that stuff was pretty good, obviously. Um, having games that you can play on the go 
is always a, is always a good a good fit, I think, for a lot of folks. Nothing that I would say stood out as revolutionary. Again, no word on a Metro Prime Four, which I think was kind of a, a disappointment. I think a lot of people were expecting that from the Nintendo Direct. But to Justin's point, they kind of tried to focus on 2023, and we're already kind of in the second you know second half of the year already. Um, and then maybe early 2024. So I would suspect that we're going to see more as we as we go. Uh, hopefully on a, a newer, beefier console. Because uh, again, I think I think Nintendo Switch is starting to get a little long in the tooth when it comes to um, wanting to release current gen type games. Right? Again, Nintendo does a really good job with their titles because their titles have always been traditionally not very uh, graphically intense. They were never ones that necessarily pushed the boundaries of high uh, hardware and, and, and new hardware, unlike you know Xbox or PlayStation. But they've always had that art style that's really melded well with the technology they had. But I certainly think it's starting to get to a point where um, that's not enough. I think where they're going to have to start seeing more um, direct releases of newer games, uh, potentially having more. Um, you know, there's been rumors of like Call of Duty type games and that sort of thing on Nintendo Switch. So I think um, it's getting it's getting that time where, where a new console announcement is it shouldn't be too far behind. But overall, again, for me, it was a mixed bag. I think if I was to give it a, a, a rating, I'd give it a C. Um, again, nothing was bad, nothing was outstanding. There were a couple of you know exciting titles, but most of them were games that um, I've already played or or have on PC or something. So they wouldn't necessarily be a I go out and buy right away, but again, it's a good it's a good mix of things um, that kind of you know kind of you know lend lend itself towards a lot of different um, different audiences. So I think generally speaking, it was good. Again, nothing revolutionary, uh, nothing that I you know would necessarily go out and consider buying day one. But all in all, I think it's pretty much what we've come to expect from Nintendo overall. And it's funny because there's been some interesting news today. That first off. Microsoft is hiking the Xbox Series X price and Game Pass to apparently try to be more in line with Sony. And then Sony apparently has been attributed to saying that they will no longer disclose future consoles such as the PlayStation 6 with Activision if the buyout closes. And I'm like, well, duh, you know, that would kind of go without saying. I don't think they would get that choice because I don't think Microsoft would allow Activision to take part in that, but it is interesting stuff that we already have uh, console discussions, uh, you know, rumors, uh, not nothing coming from the company, but just, you know, out there. So, uh, crazy stuff. Now, speaking of crazy stuff, let's talk about some good news, and then we will swing into some of the not-so-happening and happy stuff out there. Uh, recently, very much shocked to a lot of people, it was very much under the table, but Disney apparently has regained the rights to The Incredible Hulk. Uh, people say, well, hold on, haven't they had the rights to Hulk all along? Not entirely. Uh, the simplified version of the complicated thing was that Universal Studios had the rights to standalone Hulk movies, whereas Marvel had the rights to use Hulk as an ensemble. So that's why we saw him in Thor Ragnarok and the Avenger films. If he's paired with other heroes, that was fine, but if he's on his own, can't do it. Well, that's all the moot point now because the return of the rights has immediately shown uh, results because the Ed Norton version of the Hulk 
the second, if I'm not mistaken, Marvel Studios film is now available on Disney+. Plus. Secret Invasion has dropped. We had our review up for that. And so, you know, this is interesting news. It'll be very interesting to see how that is worked in the future. Now, that leads us to our next topic, and that is a lot of um, Disney and um, Marvel films, as well as other big uh, anticipated films, have hit all kinds of delays. And this is being attributed to the writer's strike. It is being attributed to the potential of an actor's strike, because as we are recording this, we're about three days away from when the actor's agreement runs out, and they do have the option to go on a strike at that point. The directors have come to an agreement, but uh, as I understand, their rank and file have not voted to accept the contract yet, uh, so that's something to be waited on. And while this is happening, we've had some very high-profile films, such as The Flash and Elemental, uh, not get the box office reception that they were expecting. We've seen some films, such as Transformers, Rise of the Beast, not have the immediate long-term you know, boom that uh, past franchise uh, entries had. And just a real quick update, because this does transition into some of the next segments. Uh, accounting firm Price Waterhouse Cooper, uh, Coopers has released its global entertainment and media outlook. Now, I'm not going to go into all of this, but the nuts and bolts of it is that the report indicates that um, the cinema sector, despite a slower-than-expected pandemic recovery, is expected to show uh, steady growth. They said there will be higher ticket prices. However, global cinema will reach pre-pandemic levels by 2025. However, they are predicting that it will not be until 2027 that global cinema admissions and U.S. revenue will hit the comparable levels that they were pre-pandemic. And, of course, they've said China is expected to lead the gold uh, global cinema total. So, you know, they're going to play into it. They also looked at streaming, and they said the underlying appetite for film going remains, as does the audience's willingness to pay a premium price for a big screen experience. But it has to be something that they want to go and see on the screen. It said uh, they expect streaming subscriptions to slow over the next five years, even though the market itself will expand. Uh, they believe that it'll go up to $175 billion by 2027. It's currently projected at $133 billion. And they said this will also be assisted by supported video on demand uh, and, you know, various things. And that uh, pay TV services and cord cutting is uh, continuing to happen. But essentially, they, they are like, the movies are on the, the way back. They are going to get there. They're currently not there. We discussed this in press row last night, and one of the uh, one of the things being discussed was a lot of people felt that there were just too many movies being released right on top of one another, and that this may have been fine for 2019 and prior, but audiences are not quite ready to have one to two big event movies each week, combined with the fact that some of them have become longer and longer. Uh, so therefore, you see certain films that people are willing to go back to and then combine that with the fact that some of them are saying, I'm actually okay waiting three months to watch this uh, on streaming services. So 
that is some interesting stuff. And that, of course, leads us to uh, the whole issue with the writer's strike, which is continuing to have uh, impacts. We've already heard about multiple delays. Uh, we've been told uh, from uh, Sony that El Muerto, the Spider-Man spinoff, is on hold and basically indefinitely shelved. We'd heard stories even before the strike that it was kind of in limbo because they didn't feel like they had a script. And now we have news coming out that the San Diego Comic-Con just a month away that Marvel Studios apparently is not going to do their Hall H presentation. We'd already heard that HBO is not going to be there. And now we've been told Universal Studios is not going to be there. Uh, so, Michael, what do you make of this? Yeah, that's a lot to unpack. I mean, going back to the, the movies, specifically The Flash and Transformers and even Elemental, I think uh, I would say that there it's not even so much a matter of people wanting to see a lot of multiple big movies, but let's, let's not forget that these films and these franchises in general have had kind of a sketchy past. So I think there's a lot of people that are willing to wait three months to see some of these movies because of the sketchy past of the Transformers movies, the DC movies. Um, again, even though, uh, generally speaking, the you know Flash is getting good reviews, I think a lot of people are just the, the franchises in general haven't been ones that they want to you know pony up the dough to go see, um, and maybe they are picking one of the one of the three movies or something to go see, and that's just not hitting it big. Uh, but I think it, I think it's it, it's hard when we're we're talking about franchises that again are are a little bit checkered in, in how successful they've been and what people are willing to spend money on. You know, I think it's different pre-pandemic when you're waiting six months for a movie to come out. Maybe you were more willing to spend um, the price of a ticket to go see a, a DC movie or a Transformers movie. Now that there's a three-month waiting thing, maybe your people are more willing to wait three months. Not because of the pandemic specifically, but just because of the time frame now. So I think that's, I, I think what we've seen is for movies that are, are truly, you know, mind-blowing and, and ones that people actually want to go see, they're still bringing in the money. But I think a lot of these franchises, people are like, the franchises haven't been good enough for me to, to not be able to wait three months to go see it. They're not ones that they're waiting in line to, to go see it first day out. So I think there's that. Um, the SDCC stuff's kind of interesting, too, uh, because Marvel and, and, and some of those have always been kind of the tentpole that have brought a lot of the, uh, the fans to SDCC. Now, SDCC's sold out. It's not going to be – this is not going to, I think, impact the attendance by any means. But I, I, I'm hoping this is just more related to potential writer strike. I mean, the potential actor strike, there might be some – concerns with the studio being able to commit to something with the, the actors not necessarily um, dependent on whether or not they're going to go on strike. Now, I know we've kind of talked about maybe um, they would be allowed to go just because this is more of a, an entertainment thing. It's, not, it's less about uh, a selling thing or, or the studios, um, kind of the same way that like a CinemaCon would be. But I think there is a, there's a reluctance to commit to these things with so much up in the air right now. And again, maybe I'm hoping this is a one-off kind of thing and not something that's going to be, um, you know, something we see down the road. And this is kind of just related to how things are going now, but it is kind of a disappointment uh, because again, some of that is some of the Marvel in particular, those are always big SDC, guests that people, you know, camp out a 
beforehand to get into Hall H to go see. Um, so obviously that's going to be some disappointment. But again, there's never a shortage of things to see there either. So I think in the long run, it's not going to hurt them. But I think for the short run, it'll be interesting to see what they do to fill that space. You know, and the interesting thing, and Justin, I will get your comment in just a second. Um, it's important to remember, these are just reports. Nothing is fully confirmed right now. And often, a lot of times, the studio has like a placeholder. Michael, I can tell you numerous years, we heard, oh, Disney's not going to have much of a presence at the con this year. Disney's not going to have much of a presence at the con. And then all of a sudden, bang, here's this huge Marvel Hall H thing. Here's these pop-ups. Here's these things. Because sometimes the studio reserves a space. I remember years where they were like, oh, Warner Brothers isn't going to be here this year. Warner Brothers is going to be here. Boom. And there was all of a sudden Warner Brothers stuff there. So I think it's kind of a wait and see thing because, you know, as I told somebody, let's say sometime in the next week or two, the, the actor's situation gets worked out. Well, that's a huge problem taken care of right there. And let's assume the director's signed. So now you have directors, actors, and actresses that can all go. And now you're only looking at non-writing producers. And guess what? If both of those labor fronts are settled, then there is the potential, if they want to talk to them, for the studios to start negotiating with the writers again. And they essentially would have three weeks or so to wrap it all up and uh, get going. Because here's the tricky side of this. With these movies not meeting the response that they had hoped, most people will tell you publicity is a big thing to do. Now, you can go out and do $100 million worth of ad campaigns and all of that, but Comic-Con has been established that you can put celebrities out, make an announcement in front of, you know, two, three, four, five. 8,000 people, depending on what the hall is, and then send the press releases out, and there's an energy and a vibe and a social media. I mean, Marvel has flat out said, when they were doing Iron Man, people were like, yeah, I don't know about this, and oh, you're taking the guy with all these drug and legal problems to, you know, and they, they have flat out said, it was the excitement and the energy from making the appearance at Comic-Con, where they made the announcement and promoted it, which helped them launch this whole thing because it took off. We already know that uh, Hulu's there. We've heard a lot of people say, well, I think it's going to be streaming heavy. I think Peacock's going to be there pushing Twisted Metal. We know Hulu's going to be there with Futurama. They've already got some of the trains, uh, the trams in the area decked out. So, uh, you know, some are saying, well, this could be more streaming, comic, and video game based. Go figure. Uh, Justin, your take, please. No, I agree. It's so complicated because there's so many factors at play and kind of the thing that I kind of go back to in in particular with regards to uh, some of the dis disappointing box office numbers is the key thing for getting people back into the theaters and, get, and garnering interest is having quality movies. And that, that's one of the the big problems is there there are movies where they, you know, it's like a slam dunk um the qual there's a there's there's an aspect of this that often gets you know people will bring up but it gets discounted at how effective it actually is but word of mouth you know when a movie comes out and it um, is generally popular and it generally is uh, you know very well received by audiences that can that can go a really long way um, for success uh, so not only is you know they're the marketing um, and then the reviews, but also the the general word of mouth. Are people really liking the movie? Are they telling their friends or their coworkers to go see it? 
kind of thing. And that's really, uh, I think, a key aspect of some of the, the, the disappointing box office numbers uh, coming out of some of the movies um, lately is that there have been some kind of mixed reception for quite a few of these. Um, so, you know, you couple that with uh, a lot of the issues going on in the industry right now, in particular with like the, the writer strike uh, that's unresolved still. So I, I think we're kind of in a weird spot where there's going to be a lot of chaos until things kind of settle and, um, you know, more, more movies come out that, uh, that a lot of people want to see. And, you know, it's interesting to point out, you mentioned they tell their friends and that's always been a big part of the box office word of mouth. And I was just thinking, let's remember a lot of people are working from home now. So they're not sitting at the office chatting with the same group. I mean, yes, they'll obviously be keeping in touch with their close friends, but there will be work acquaintances and more casual people. I can think of many people uh, that I know in an office setting that are not on my social media, that I do not converse with in any way, shape, or form outside of, uh, you know, these situations. But when we're together, there's 20, 30 different people. And if someone says, oh, what did you think about this, knowing what I do? Oh, yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden, you might have five or six people that wouldn't have otherwise gone who say, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll go. And maybe they'll tell two people and like the old ad campaign and they tell two people. So it's an interesting, interesting look when you do that because it is such a large financial situation that you're dealing with. So let's look at another situation that has popped up here. And I thought this is going to be a really interesting topic for debate. So looking ahead at the movies that are scheduled to come out, obviously we have Indiana Jones coming up on the 30th. Ruby Gilman, I've already seen Indiana Jones. My non-spoiler review is up. Uh, July 7th, we have Joyride, which I've already seen. Absolutely hysterical. But it's going up right against Insidious, The Red Door. Now those horror films always generally do pretty well, especially since they don't have a crazy budget. July 12th, we get Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, so let's put a pin in that because we will be coming back to that one. And then July 21st, we have Barbie, but it's going to open up against Oppenheimer. And just seven days later, Disney's Haunted Mansion. A few days after that, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And just two days after that, Meg to the Trench. And... uh, you know, another set of films. And this is going to kind of mellow out until August. You'll have like Gran Turismo and things like that. And then, of course, in August, we have uh, Blue Beetle. And, you know, that'll do it until the fall. We have some interesting things coming out in uh, September and onward like that. But these are more modestly budgeted films. Now, uh, what I've been hearing is that there is a big fight going on for IMAX screens. Now, apparently, uh, Oppenheimer was filmed with the intention of it being shown on as many IMAX screens as possible. A lot of uh, special camera techniques, tricks, lensing, that sort of stuff done to take advantage of the benefits of an IMAX cinema. So that's fine. Here's the problem. You've got an R-rated film that is apparently about three hours and change that is also let's be honest a historical drama 
You are fighting with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, a PG-13 action film that, oh yeah, let's not forget the star's last film basically reinvigorated and jump-started the box office in many people's estimation, saved the day and got people running back to the theaters, made it a big event film, uh, you know, paved the way for big successes like um, Avatar Way of Water and stuff by establishing that, yes, the theaters are still a place that you can have large responses to event films, that sort of thing. And so, naturally, it's no shock that Mission Impossible apparently is snapping up a lot of uh, the screens. And, you know, someone said to me, well, what do you make about this? And I said, let's assume you're a movie theater owner and you have an IMAX screen. Are you going to take the three-hour R-rated historical drama that, uh, let's be honest, is not going to appeal to any of the teens? You can pretty much take them out, and even if it did appeal to them, they aren't going to be able to get in as easy due to the R rating. Flip that with a series that you know is successful, has already had its premiere, and is getting very good word of mouth for this. We already know the sequel's already filmed, and they even haven't ruled out doing a ninth film in the not-too-distant future. It's PG-13, and you do have a very bankable star. Which one would you go with? So, Michael, we'll uh, open it up with you. What do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm going to say that Oppenheimer is one that I want to see, but I agree that uh, historical movies traditionally haven't done really well, um, and I, I bet from a cinematography perspective, it's probably leaps and bounds over um, Mission Impossible, but never bet against Tom Cruise. I think that's what we've learned, right, particularly with uh, the latest Top Gun movie. And, and yeah, I mean, if Mission Impossible is going to appeal to a lot more a lot more individuals, regardless of the ratings. Um, you know, Oppenheimer's not going to be the type of movie that's going to be a, a feel-good, you know, action-adventure that you're going to want to bring all your friends to go see. It's, it's going to be a lot more involved, thought-provoking type film. Again, I want to see it because I think it looks phenomenal. And, and again, from an IMAX perspective, I bet it is the way to see that movie. But at the same time, it's not going to fill the seats that something like a Mission Impossible is going to do. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think even taking a Mission Impossible out of the, the equation and um, putting that to the side, even if Mission Impossible was com wasn't coming out that same weekend or around that same time, I still think Oppenheimer is going to appeal to a very um, limited group of individuals. Again, I think it'll get a lot of... Uh, you know, Oscar buzz, which it probably will rightfully deserve. Um, it's probably going to be an outstanding film in its own right. But again, it, those types of movies traditionally are not ones that are going to be the uh, big screen, the big, you know, fill up all the seats. Um, when you compare them to something like a, a Mission Impossible or really any other um, movie that's, that's a lot more uh, fun, a lot less thought-provoking, um, a lot of people want to go to the movies to escape, and they don't necessarily want to be drawn into something historical. I think that's why a lot of these movies don't particularly um, do well. Again, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be fantastic. But honestly, it's I would probably pick Mission Impossible first, just because it's more it's more of a summer blockbuster feel type movie. Absolutely. And the other thing too is look at some of the recent uh, historical films we had. I mean, there have been 
a couple of fairly sizable ones that crashed and burned at the box office. And, um, you know, you, you have to wonder why, um, why they didn't decide to put this out in the fall. I looked at it and said, you know, we, we had that whole issue with Babylon and that was, uh, that was a huge, you know, failure from a very hyped, uh, movie. And there have been some other ones as well recently. And, you know, you just have to wonder what were they thinking there? This is not a summer movie. This is something that comes out in September, October, November, and, you know, gets all the praise and then has very hot into the, uh, Oscar buzz, and uh, you know, it, it just really, really makes you wonder. Uh, Justin, yeah, I mean, it's and it's not, and this is right around Fourth of July weekend too. Again, not a big Fourth of July movie to go see. I mean, I, I understand its importance, but but again, I agree. This is definitely more of a October type of film or November type of film, and it's certainly not a Fourth of July type of film. Absolutely, and uh, you know. You just, you really, really have to wonder, uh, there, you know, there was also that recent movie Amsterdam as well that didn't do as well. So uh, despite having an all-star cast, Justin, uh, your take, please. Yeah, I mean, I'll be seeing both of them. I'm really looking forward to both, but I do think it is a bit of a mistake for the, the at least the timing for Oppenheimer. Uh, really, I think the, the key marketing for it is that it's a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, which rightly so. I mean, he's a, probably one of the few directors that can pull a large audience just with his name as a director attached to something. And as a filmmaker, you know, I, I deeply respect him just because he's one of the few who really, I, I feel, cares very deeply about the art of filmmaking uh, and really tries to push not, not just, you know, art house type movies, but tries to push uh, very big spectacle type movies that... Um, are, you know, I'm not going to say highbrow, but, you know, are more than just um, a bunch of, like, it's more than just fancy computer graphics. He, he does such a good job making movies that are entertaining, um, but also uh, just very thoughtful in terms of how they, uh, how they uh, tackle their, their spectacle. So, really, it seems like the big push is Okay, it's got Christopher Nolan's name attached to it, uh, which, again, is 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 a big deal, and that can get a lot of people to the theater. But if you kind of if you look at his last two movies, uh, so um, the Tenant. Uh, well, Tenant, that's right, Tenant. Uh, Tenant was a little more traditional to Christopher Nolan styles, very very. Uh, interesting idea uh, kind of movie, but he did do a historical drama, not historical drama, but he did do a historical movie before that with Dunkirk. The difference between Dunkirk and Oppenheimer though, is that Dunkirk was about a battle. It was uh, a lot of the same people that would have maybe been drawn to going to see Saving Private Ryan. Not, not to say that Dunkirk and Saving Private Ryan are equivalent movies, but there's something that's a little bit different than, uh, you know, there, there's something that's different about a World War II battle film versus a basically a biopic about a uh, 
a historical figure. So I do think it is a bit of a mistake. I'm guessing that there will be spectacle in Oppenheimer. But again, I think you guys are right. I, I would have probably pushed this a little bit later. Maybe even still, you could argue a summer movie, but maybe push it a little bit later in the summer. Going so close up against Mission Impossible, I think, is just... That's really the mistake, because both movies are going to be the, the exact type of movie that I'm that me and probably a lot of other people will go to IMAX to go see, just because that's you know where you're going to get the most spectacle, uh, and that's why you would want to watch both movies. Yeah, and you know it, it's just... Uh, it just makes you really wonder. And then on top of that, there was some news uh, recently that the Oscars are expanding their rules in order to qualify. Uh, we had talked in the past that with Netflix and Prime Video and even Apple getting into the mix for Oscar consideration. They had to put films in theaters for, uh, you know, there, there are various rules, but the core of them is you have to appear in a... Um, market for seven days and that way you quote unquote have met your theatrical release obligation and so you had various things where they were playing with well we'll put them on streaming at the same time that they are on um the theaters so we'll put them in the theaters first or we'll put them on streaming then the theaters that way we qualify for the oscars and it worked i mean we had Netflix got something for All Quiet on the Western Front. We've seen uh, numerous films that were, um, you know, streaming fact that had qualified for Oscars. So under the new rules, apparently they essentially have to be um, in one of the 50 top 10 markets. Now, see, that that is where it gets very confusing. Essentially... There's 50 markets that they're looking at. They want the film to be in at least um, 10 of the top 50 markets for seven days. So essentially, if you want to do uh, 40 through 50, that's okay. If you want to do 1 through 10, that's okay. But essentially, they have the top 50 markets, and it has to appear in at least 10 of those for seven days in order to qualify. And that's the new simplified uh, version and that is going to be very interesting because we know now especially with the streaming uh, instability that they are pushing more and more to be able to get Oscars to be able to say look we're legitimate studios we're not just making you know it used to be oh, well that was good for streaming but it would never cut it in the theaters they're having to step up and say look our stuff would be a hit in streaming, our stuff would be a hit in the theaters, and therefore you need to take notice of us because the studios, I mean, the uh, industry are, and we're getting awards. I mean, Extraction 2 is a massive, massive hit for Netflix, and they've already uh, come out, uh, Hemsworth already came out and said, yeah, absolutely, 3's already in the planning stages. So, interesting stuff. Well, guys, that's going to do it for us this week. Do you have anything, either of you want to add anything before we uh, close it off this week? Uh, nope, I think that just about covers it. All right. Well, that is going to do it, everybody. Take care, be safe, and we'll be back again next week with all new stuff. Until then, have a great one.